If you would, remain standing with me and turn in your Bibles to Romans. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We'll begin our reading with verse 1. Romans chapter 9. Begin our reading with verse 1. And we'll, we'll, we'll read down through verse 5. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. As you turn there, amen. I just want to echo uh, just a great big thank you, amen, to our entire Sunday school team. Amen. A group of dedicated <laughs> teachers that work so tirelessly. Amen. For teaching our children and our young people the Word of God each week and even on Wednesday nights in Kids Church. And we appreciate them so much. I think it would be great if uh, not just here when we're all together, maybe you clap your hands with everyone else that claps their hands or holler. But I wonder if you would just maybe take the teacher aside that has invested in your child. And if you would just bless them, if nothing else, with your words, words of kindness. And maybe if the Lord moves upon your heart, you know, bless them with a gift card. Uh, just show your appreciation for these that give their time, give their talent, and invest themselves in the teaching of the Word of God into the lives of our children and young people. I, I think that would be completely in order. I do want to say thank you to all those that were able to go with my wife and I uh, to Camp Workday yesterday. We know that there was a lot of things going on. It's Memorial Day weekend on top of it all. Uh, we actually had uh, a group that was outside of a Casey's gas station, or a couple of them, and receiving donations for Save Our Children, our Save Our Children offering. There was children that were out there with some, some adults, I believe Sister Brittany uh, and Sister Maria. Is that right? Uh, they, were, they were there with some kids, and they were accepting donations from customers that were going in and out of the gas station. And I want to say they raised just under $300 uh, for Save Our Children, and that is truly commendable. That is awesome. And I know that uh, Sister Holly and Brother and Sister Kellerman helped make this possible, and we appreciate them for that as well. Amen. Amen. Just a heads up, uh, if you've not seen it already on the calendar, in preparation for next Sunday, we've already alluded to the fact that next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, and in preparation for that, I'm calling the Refuge Church family to three days of prayer and fasting that will begin on Thursday and culminate on Saturday, so this coming Saturday at 6 p.m. Uh, with all church prayer here uh, at the Refuge. And so we would love for you to join with us in prayer, fasting, and uh, just believing that God's going to pour out a, a special blessing and outpouring of his spirit next Sunday as we celebrate the birth of the church. It's really, that's what it is. It's the, the birthday of the New Testament church there recorded in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And we're excited about our youth and our kids going to camp. In fact, uh, the majority of those that went down to camp yesterday to work were young people, and it's almost as though they just can't wait to get there. And so we're thankful for all of them. We're excited about them going to camp. Uh, last year, we implemented a policy for our young people and kids uh, to have no phones at camp, and I got an opportunity to bring kids back from camp, and we had lunch together, and it was so neat to see how really that allowed them to kind of break free of that distraction in their life for a week and to really zone in on what God wants to do in their life and make connections personally with other campers. Uh, in fact, that was one of the big things. That was a takeaway. I remember sitting at, I think it was a McDonald's, and they were talking about the new friends that they met uh, because they weren't so uh, 
captivated by a device. And so we would love to see that happen again this, this uh, camp season. Looking at Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, the Bible says, I say the truth. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, I say the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. I'm not going to lie. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He says, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. These next words have captivated me and are the inspiration behind this message. Verse 3 says, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises whose are the fathers or the patriarchs, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall God-blessed forever. And the church say amen. 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 I'll speak from this title, and I just, I'm trusting that the Lord's going to do whatever he wants to do in this place. Amen. And speak to our hearts today. But I'm going to speak from this title, Trust the Savior. Trust the Savior. Would you pray with me, and let's ask the Lord to have his way. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the privilege of gathering together in this place. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have already done through our Sunday school hour, through this worship service, even through our time of fellowship, prayer, giving together. Lord, you're here. You're in this place, and I believe that you want to speak to our hearts. I'm asking that your spirit, Lord, would move upon me. And that I would be a messenger of truth, speaking the truth in love, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I thank you for each and every soul that is present here today in this place and every soul that will hear the recording of this message. I pray that the word of God would be sharper than a two-edged sword, that it will pierce even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the thought, the intent of the heart. Lord, that it will cut to even the bone of the life and that you will speak to our situation, speak to our hearts. Help us, O oh Lord. Save our souls. Save our souls and let us grow as saints of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, shake hands with someone nearby you. Look them in the eyes and say, trust the Savior. Trust the Savior. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Trust the Savior. So I apologize if you've seen this picture more than you could count and you're tired of seeing this picture, but I can't help myself. It was 19 years ago that this picture was taken. If they could put it on the screen. 19 years ago. Maybe. Maybe you're tired of seeing the picture and they said you don't need to see the picture ever again. Nineteen years ago, I came here to the city of Rock Island uh, to help start this church. And uh, 
the picture that may eventually, yeah, there it is. May 29, 2003. Uh, can anyone figure out which one is me in the picture? He's, he's got hair. He's got less melanin also in his skin tone. 19 years ago, I, I was teaching our first, my first midweek Bible study. Um, this was the Thursday after Memorial Day. Uh, you'll, you'll notice uh, that Brother Sylvester Parker's in the picture. Uh, he was there from the beginning, all the way back in the yellow house, him and Sister Parker. In fact, that, that was... Nathan's in the left. You can see his sock, his white sock. Nathan and then uh, Alan Parker, Sylvester Parker, Dwayne, and Alex. Alex was closest to that awesome pulpit that's up there by the keyboard. And um, 19 years ago, I came here uh, to help uh, start this church. This church was a, essentially a Sunday school ministry of the church that is across town known as the Sanctuary of the Quad Cities, Pastor Luke Levine. And uh, at that time, it was actually two pastors ago, his name was Richard Plunk, that invited me to the Quad Cities from Indiana Bible College. I was 21 years old. My wife and I, we were dating at the time. And I've just got to say that God has been so faithful. And God has allowed me to be a part of the establishing of his church here in the city of Rock Island and reaching the greater Quad City area. area. My, my memory is a bit foggy, uh, but I believe that it was at our second storefront location, which I think we've got a picture of that. Uh, the second storefront location, which was located in Watchtower Plaza. Uh, we were right next door to the, to the right of us, our right, to the right of us was Big Cat's House of Chrome. They sold those really big chrome wheels, you know, the ones that when the car stops, they keep on spinning. And uh, I remember the guys that worked there, they were kind to us, but uh, they, they, were, they were a riot. But uh, now my memory was a bit foggy, but I think that it was this location, uh, Brother Parker, that uh, Brother Richard Plunk, uh, who again served as the pastor of the church in Silvis, he came and like almost the whole church like squeezed into this building and we had a dedication service for, for this location. We had a dedication service. And during that service, uh, people, prayers were prayed. People had anointing oil. They were, I mean, they were lathering the whole place with oil. And uh, during that service, towards the end, uh, Brother Richard Plunk, he invited me to come and, and kind of greet everyone. And it was, again, mostly uh, members of the church in Silvis. And really, it was because there was just a handful of us at that time that were uh, serving there in Rock Island. And I shared, I shared this scripture from 1 Thessalonians. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 7 through 9. I shared, I read this scripture and just kind of shared from my heart uh, that this is the heartbeat of, of the ministry here in Rock Island. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, this is the, again the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, we were gentle among you. He said, just like a nurse that cherish, cherishes her children. He says, we were so affectionately desirous of you. 
we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were so dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. And I shared from this scripture that I remember this scripture being taught from in my Greek class at Indiana Bible College and how in that moment that God spoke to me and in that class, uh, tears begin to stream down my face as the Lord just he spoke to me at how this would be the paradigm that I ought to serve in ministry under. That I should be willing to not just preach to people the gospel, but even to, if it were possible, to impart my very soul to them. To be so gentle among them as a nurse that would care for the children that is within her responsibility, to, to labor as a woman in travail, laboring night and day because I don't want to be chargeable to anyone or anyone to use me as an excuse as to I'm the reason that they are not saved. So the churches, this church, this church's foundation was built on a strong desire to love people like Christ loves. And I will be the first to admit that I personally have fallen short of this so many times. But, again, the goal has always been to love people unselfishly, to, to love people with a self-sacrificing love, to love people even to, to our own detriment or even to our own hurt. And this would, as a result, allow our hearts to be involved which led to real hurt, because there's no hurt like heart hurt. It led to real pain. I remember one of the first families that we had coming to the church. We were so excited. I'll never forget the day, and you could, you could take it off the picture. Thank you. I'll never forget the day when uh, I got a phone call from the head of the household, the father and husband. He called me and and he relayed to me that he and his wife and their kids had been talking about talking about the church that they had been introduced to. We had taught them Bible studies at this point. And how Joe told me, he said, we've decided to make the, the, the Jesus church at that time, we've decided to make the Jesus church our home church. And we were living in our apartment at that time, and I ran after I got off the phone, I acted like, oh, nonchalant, like, oh, that's great. We're, we're so excited for your family to make this decision. And, but I got off the phone, and I ran from the living room down the little short hallway into my bedroom, and I jumped up on top of the king-size bed that was donated to us from Mary Hedrick. And uh, we, I jumped up and down on the bed. I was so excited. But I also remember the day... I mean, we're talking about hours and so much time invested in working with this family, going to birthday parties, and I remember standing outside their front door and trying to have a conversation with them through a cracked door where they informed me that they will never again step foot through our church doors. 
and the absolute heartbreak that rushed over my wife and I's souls. I, I remember one time we were picking up people just from anywhere we could find folks to bring them to church. And there was a man by the name of Aaron that came to church from a drug rehabilitation center. And Aaron, we got to know him. We found out his background, his upbringing. He grew up going to church. He, he was actually a musician in the church, an organ player, if memory serves me right. And I remember that Aaron didn't show up one service and then another service, but I knew where he was living or I knew where he was essentially in part of downtown Davenport. And Brother Andy, I remember driving up and down 3rd, 4th, and 2nd Street trying to find Aaron, I spotted him walking down the street, and I, I called out to him, and he just kind of darted down an alley, and I remember parking my car, and I, trying to look for him where he was, and I, I was looking under semi-truck trailers and seeing him under the trailer and saying, Aaron, hey, man, we love you. We, we just miss you at church, and he had needle marks up and down his arm, and I said, Aaron, listen, this is not God's plan for your life. He loves you, and he would love for you to come back to church, and we never saw Aaron again. I, I remember another family that used to attend church faithfully and just about 10 blocks from this building right now, I was, I was standing in a, in a building that they own and I was having a conversation again with the head of the household and I was trying to figure out why he didn't have his family come to church anymore and I just was bawling. He just, he wouldn't give me a reason. He said, just don't worry about it. It's nothing against you. We're just not going to come anymore and just... Tears just flowing. I, I felt like a, a sappy mess. But it, you, you don't understand. Like when you love people the way Christ calls you to love people, it opens you up to, to, to as much joy just in the very same way to as much hurt and pain. I, I remember being at someone's house. It was after a long week at youth convention and, uh, and, and an Easter Sunday that we poured ourselves into and we were about to wake up for a 5 a.m. flight to Zambia, Africa and my wife and I were preparing for it and I got a, a call from a family and I needed to go over to a house and there at this house was someone that was under the influence and they were speaking venomous and hateful words to me and it had pushed me and I just being in that moment, I wish I could convey to you just how I could relate with Paul that I, I, I preach the gospel, but I, I want to pour my soul out to people because I want people to be saved. This is the paradigm that God has called me to minister here in Rock Island, to love people as a nurse would cherish her children, to impart not just the word, but to impart our very own souls. I tell you some of these stories, and, and, and yes, they're hurtful, and some of these people, we've never seen them again, but there's other situations where I remember, and I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but I remember walking with a, a, a lady that is in the room now because she, she had belongings that belonged to her that someone was holding from her, and I remember taking her to a house, and I didn't know who these people were, and parking the car and stepping outside the house, 
and talking to people I didn't know who they were, and it was quite an intimidating situation. I said, hey, listen, I understand that you, you have things that belong to this person, and you need to give them back. And here I am, you know, in this neighborhood. I'm the odd man in the neighborhood. But listen, there, there is something about the love of God that constrains us to do something that might even put our own lives at risk and jeopardize our safety. Why? Because the love of Christ constrains us. We just want people to be saved. That's, that's what the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost from his own heart and his own hurt in 1 Thessalonians. He writes, if you take the time to read 1 Thessalonians starting with verse 1 of chapter 2, you'll find how the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I didn't come to you deceitfully. I, I didn't come to you and, and try to flatter you with empty words so that you could somehow come under my persuasion and my influence. No, I, I came meek and humbly to you, only sharing the gospel. I wasn't chargeable to you. I was gentle with you, like a nurse that takes great care for her children that she is responsible for. Consider how a parent loves their own child, especially new parents with their first child. Some of you might be able to attest to this. Remember that, that time when your child was sick when they were experiencing some sort of health issue and you thought if it were possible for me to somehow take the hurt, the fever, the pain, the sickness in their place, you would do it in an instant. I mean, now they're grown. You're like, suck it up, buttercup. You know, you're, you're fine. Walk it off. But, but, but when you were a new parent with your child, you thought in your mind and maybe even said it out loud, if there was a way that I could somehow take the sickness from them, have the fever for them, if I could have the affliction, I would take it in a moment right now. And that's what Paul was relating in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 verses 1 through 5, he says, I'm telling you the truth. He says, I'm not lying to you. My conscience bear me witness in the Holy Ghost. He says three things. He says, I've got great heaviness. He says, I have continual sorrow in my heart. And if I could, I would wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen. You see what the Apostle Paul was, ex was experiencing is the great paradox that probably many of you have experienced, especially those of you that have come into a relationship with God as an adult. When you came into a relationship with God as an adult, your initial, initial feelings was of great joy, almost unexplainable joy, what you received when you were filled with his spirit, what you felt when you were baptized for the remission of your sins, what, what load you felt lifted off your shoulders when you repented at an altar of your sins and decided to surrender your life to Christ. You felt great joy. It reminds me of the time when Brother Christopher Walker came through our church doors and for the first time and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And it was so wild to me because we were right next door in this storefront. We were right next door to his grandfather's contracting office general contracting office and I was turning off the lights from this revival service and unbeknownst to him he was on the other side of the wall in his grandfather's office on the phone with the family member and he was just like excited out of his mind talking about how he was just filled with the Holy Ghost and I could hear like every word he was saying is 
crystal clear as though I was standing right next to him on the other side of the wall. And, 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 and you've been there. You, you know what it's like to experience that joy that floods your soul like a river of living water just pouring from you. But you also perhaps have experienced the paradox, the, 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 the opposition in your own spirit between the joy that you have for the salvation God has poured into your life, but the knowledge that the people that you love and care about have not yet experienced this, and you feel great sorrow for them. You want to be happy because you have such a great gift. You've been given such great mercy and grace and salvation. But in your heart, you are torn because you feel just as great a joy as great sorrow for your mother, for your father, for, for your brother, for your sister, for your family, for your children that are not walking with the Lord or have walked away from the Lord. And you're torn and conflicted in your spirit. And like Paul, like Paul, you thought or maybe have even said, if, if it were possible, I would become a curse from Christ. Do you understand what that means? Paul was saying, if it were possible, I would go to hell if it meant that my brothers, my family, the Israelites would be saved. This is Paul speaking. We're talking about real words spoken from real pain. And anguish. In fact, if you read Romans and you get to chapter 8, chapter 8 is like this, this, this crescendo. It's, it's, a, it's an awesome cha chapter that talks about the power of the Spirit and how we're adopted into the family of God by His Spirit. And he talks about as many as are led of the Spirit, they're the sons of God. And he even sums it up by saying, listen, and we know that all things work together to them that love God and them that are called according to His purpose. And we have this assurance, but then he goes into chapter 9 and he begins to talk about his family. He talks about his neighbors, the people he grew up with, the, 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 the friends that he had, the people he went to school with, and how he's torn. And he says, if it were possible, I would be accursed from Christ. He continues in chapter 10. Read it for yourself. He continues in chapter 10. And it's in chapter 10 that sometimes people, they take it to the bank and they forget about the rest of the Bible where it talks about you should believe on the Lord and confess with your mouth that you should be saved. He's not talking about Gentile believers necessarily. What he's trying to convey is, listen, Israelites, brothers, sisters of mine, don't you understand that Christ is the fulfillment of the law that you hold so tightly on to? And if it were possible, I, could, I wish you could just understand, all you've got to do is just believe it. Would you just confess it and watch God do the rest in your life? And unfortunately, some people have taken that and misconstrued it and misunderstand it. That if they could just kind of somehow mentally assent and in a moment of time make a decision that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore they are saved for the rest of their lives. That's not what he was talking about. But he was saying, listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just believe it. But Paul was not alone in this. Paul is accompanied with that Old Testament great prophet Moses. Moses, who brought the children of Israel by the direction of the Lord out of Egypt and took them to Mount Sinai, and Moses was up on that mountain, and God was pouring into him, just flooding him with revelation and the law. And Moses is having this glorious time, and he descends off the mountain, and he finds his people, his brothers, his sisters, dancing 
around a calf, a golden image. He runs back to God and he says these words. God! Now Moses is mad. Moses is mad at his family. What are you guys thinking? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? And then he runs back to God and he says, God, now listen, you got to forgive them right now. Because if you don't forgive them, Exodus 32, I believe, verse 32, he says, if you don't forgive them, then don't forgive me and take my name out of your book. You see, it's there. Just like Paul, they have this conflict in their spirit. God, I want my family to be saved. I want those ones dear and near to me to be saved. And I'm willing to jeopardize my own salvation so that they might be saved. Moses says, forgive them, God, if not erase my name out of your book. God says, nice try. He says, but each person will be accountable for their own sin. But still the feeling is real. Has anybody, anyone in here been able to relate to the words I'm saying? Does anyone here have... Have someone you deeply care about that's not walking with the Lord. In fact, can I just uh, share with you that this is actually, this is a very common problem, especially in, in teaching a home Bible study. This past Wednesday, I, I began teaching into his marvelous light in the hopes that, that you all would, would go and do likewise, that you would find someone and teach this simple Bible study that I was actually teaching in that picture on May 29, 2003. And it's a beautiful Bible study that unpacks what the Bible says about salvation. But I've sat at the dining room table. I've, I've, I've sat there and watched their eyes light up and words like, this is it. I've been from church to church to church and I've never heard this. Sometimes it's about the infilling of God's spirit in their lives with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. And sometimes it's about baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sins. And you could see it in their eyes. A light bulb comes on and revelation is received. But it almost never, never fails. This moment of revelation is accompanied by a moment of, of question, of, of wonder. And they say something like this. After they see it so plainly in the word for themselves, they read it out loud to themselves. They say, why, why don't more churches teach this? And why haven't I heard this before? And then, so what does this mean? For my grandmother, she's passed away and she, She was a good Christian lady, and she was, she was faithful to her church, but she was never baptized like this, and she was never filled with the Holy Ghost. Would you stay with me today? This is the crossroads of every Bible study, where revelation meets this question, where I have seen people choose the high road and say, can you baptize me right now? I remember being in a Bible study just, just down at near the corner. It was, it was actually, Sister Perlina, it was, it was there in your house, in your basement. And I remember you had your, 
your family, you had your sons, I believe, gathered together, and we were teaching. And I remember them, I think it was Kim and Daryl that were there, and they, they, they looked at me and they said, can you lay your hands on us and us receive the Holy Ghost today? I remember these kind of moments where, where, where nothing was going on. I remember when Francois, he used to come to church, and he asked to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and we knelt at a, that old altar down in Watchtower Plaza, and we repented of our sins, and God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost right there on the spot. I remember taking people to the waters of baptism so they could be baptized that very moment because they saw it, they embraced it, they didn't care. They abandoned anything else that might cause them to think otherwise. But on the other flip side of this, I have seen people appreciate the light for a moment and then go to the switch on the wall spiritually and choose to turn off the switch. Because they realize that if I believe this, then, then by me accepting this, that means that there are people that, that I love that are not born again. And that's tough. Typically, I, I share with them almost immediately that I, I'm, I'm in no different a boat than they, they seek to possibly get into. I've got grandparents. I've got, I've got people that I love and that I care about and cousins and aunts and uncles. I, I, I wish someone could hear me today. I've got people that I deeply care about that I, like Paul, like Moses, I sometimes feel like if it were possible... Lord, I'd be willing to take their place in pain so that they might be saved. But I remind them, listen, number one, I've got family just like you have family. And I had to make a tough de decision of whether to believe this or not believe this. Either this Bible is true or it's not. And number two, I choose to believe and trust in God. That he is merciful, he is just. He knows the end from the beginning, and he knows the heart of every living person, dead and alive. He knows what they've done. He knows where they've been. And then third, I take them, Brother Parker, I take them to a story in Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus, the beggar. The Bible says that they both died. And I find it fascinating that Jesus made plain. It doesn't matter your popularity. It doesn't matter your position or power. It doesn't matter what riches you've accumulated. One day you will all be at the same level ground. You will all meet death and stare face to face. He says the rich man and the beggar both died. And the rich man, he descended down into hell while the beggar ascended into the very presence of Abraham, that great patriarch, this place of promise and paradise for the righteous living and dead. And we hear this conversation ensue between the rich man and Abraham. The rich man first, he begs for one drop of water. Just give me a drop of water. I'm so parched. To which I am, I'm convinced that this was more than just a physical thirst. Brother Velas, I believe that he was craving for a drop of that living water, which John says in John chapter 7 verse 39 is the spirit. Because to be accursed from Christ means to be eternally separated from the presence of God, which is described as living water. And the rich man said, if I could just get a drop of his presence, 
But when that prayer request was denied, we find that he then goes on to his second most important prayer request. And he says, if you could, I've got five brothers and they're still living. And if you could, please send Lazarus to their house. Because surely they would listen to someone who rises from the dead and warns them not to come to the same demise as I have found myself into. And I tell them with all the love in my heart as I sit at their kitchen table, listen, if God forbid it, but if your loved one is in hell today because they have not obeyed the gospel, then please hear the prayer request of hell. Uh, perhaps your loved one that is there in torment right now, I wish that upon nobody. No soul do I wish that upon. But if they're there, know this, that they are crying with what strength they have. Send somebody to my living relative's house so that they might know there's another way. Thank God for his mercy and revelation when they see. Listen, this Bible study is really an answer to prayer, perhaps, of someone that I love deeply, that I'm related to, that is in a place of torment, that's praying for me. In fact, I'm convinced that every person under the sound of my voice, you are here because someone has prayed for you. You're here today because someone has prayed for you. They might not be in this room. They might not even be on this earth. But someone has prayed for you, living or dead. Someone has lifted their voice and spared not the voice. And they've cried, save my loved ones. Save my loved ones. As I close this message, I just want us to consider this quandary that Paul and even Moses have found themselves in. Where Paul, he said it almost very directly. He said that I would become accursed from Christ. That I would be banished from Christ so that they might be saved. <laughs> and that's how we feel. But be careful. Be careful. Be careful that you pray or rather, don't fall prey to the Messiah complex. The Messiah complex is often born out of very, very good intentions. But I want everyone that's part of this church family to know that there is only one Savior and you are not him. It has grieved my heart to see people or myself get in the way of God and what he's trying to do in someone's life that is not saved. And I, instead of helping them, enable them to continue to live in a lifestyle that has them separated from the only Savior of who I am not. For if, if I would, if I could, I would lay down my life for their salvation. But know this, that even if you died for their salvation, it's not enough. It's not enough. 
Because it requires sinless blood. It requires a lamb without blemish. It requires a perfect sacrifice. But I've got good news for you that Christ has already alone made atonement and has been made the curse for us. For Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone that hangs upon the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Here's the good news, is while we are sitting here, yes, you ought to participate with the Spirit, which always makes intercession for us. And you in prayer and I in prayer ought to join with the Spirit that dwells within us and among us and make intercession for our loved ones and for those that we care deeply about. Make intercession for them. But understand, you can't make substitution for them. You can't make atonement for them. Get out of the way and let God get his hands on their life. Get out of the way and let God's will be done. If it takes a famine like it did for the prodigal, if it takes a storm like it did for Jonah, let it be done so that they might be saved. But God, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust the Savior. I said I'm going to trust the Savior. I wish someone would stand with me right now and say, I trust the Savior. I trust the Savior. I'm not the Savior, but I trust the Savior. I don't know the end from the beginning, but I trust the one who does. I'm willing to die, but Lord, my death will not even come close to paying the penalty and the debt that they owe. So I'm going to trust the Savior. If you are here today and you need to repent of your sins, maybe you're a prodigal, maybe you have backslidden and slipped away from the Lord, I want you to trust the Savior that he has mercy and he has grace. He has given you promises. It's like Paul told to the Israelites. He says, you've got the promises. You've got the covenant. You were born after the flesh, after the same flesh that the Messiah had. You have it all. What is waiting? Why are you waiting? Come, come. If you're here today, know that God has grace that is sufficient in love, which is perfect, that's able to cast out all fear. He's able to forgive you of your sins. This altar is open. If you're here today and you have family that has walked away from God or has never walked with the Lord, I want you to trust the Savior that says, Lord, I know you're working even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it. I've got, I've got a brother. I've got a sister that's not walking with the Lord. I've got, you've got adult children that are not walking with the Lord. Trust the Savior. Come on, somebody. We we don't need to get in the way. I know we've got human hearts that are prone to be filled with sympathy and empathy and compassion and, and that's good and well, but know that you can't save your family. You can't You can't save them. Not even your death could purchase their salvation. But trust the one who has given his life, who has shed his blood, that his blood is still effective at washing away every sin. His spirit and the promise of it is still available for whosoever will. Lord, why don't you call out their names? Call out your baby's name. Call out your husband. Call out your wife. Call out your children. Call out your mother and your father's name. Yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's a refuge church. 
We're going to continue to build on the foundation of a self-sacrificing love. But we're going to understand there's only one Savior. And we, none of us, are the Savior but He alone. Oh, we're going to introduce them to Jesus Christ. We're going to believe that they can find a satisfying and saving relationship with our Lord. marvelous light. Why don't you start there? Be thankful that you're in his presence, that you're allowed to hear his voice, his word. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Don't give up hope. Listen, don't give up hope. I don't know where you are. I don't know who you buried, but don't give up hope. There's a loving and merciful and a just Savior who is able that's it, cry out. Cry out for our city. Cry out for your family. Intercede for your co-worker and your classmate. That's it. There is a Savior. I said there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. He's already bled and died for us. His blood is available. His spirit makes intercession for us. Join your voice with the spirit of your God. Intercede. Call upon the name of the Lord. I know it's time to go. 